Amen. Well, good morning, Hillcrest. All right, we're going to fly. Are you guys ready? All right, my name is Tyler Schoenrock. I'm one of the pastors around here, and I get really excited about building God's way and all that we have coming in the future because I am the student ministries pastor, so I love the next generation and think investing in, the, in them is something that we um, should be doing. And I love the students and leaders and parents that I get to hang with uh, on the daily. But if you're just jumping in with us here today, um, we've been looking at the book of Luke And we've been diving in verse by verse to really soak in what God is trying to say through this biblical author, Luke, to us um, today. And the book of Luke so far has, has been all centered around the idea of an entrance of the king. And the entrance of the king into this world through the birth narrative of Jesus, as well as Jesus as a boy. We saw that a few weeks ago. Uh, to John the Baptist last week was preparing the way for the arrival of Jesus. And then as we've really been soaking in, I think for me, um, the Christmas story has really been hitting me because we've been taking it out of Christmas. And it's been a really cool experience, especially for me at home because it's hitting a lot closer uh, because my son, Caleb, has been in the world uh, six weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Very excited. I did so much work in the process. Um, But I love this boy dearly. And I think as we, as I have had sleepless nights, early mornings, gallons of coffee that I've drank, um, I have just been able to look down at this baby in my arms and really soak in that God chose to come into the world through that little baby. And I think that has really just impacted how I've looked at Luke this morning. He came into a humble entrance in the most human of way to come alongside of us in humanity. And so I think in this first section of Luke, we have this big question that we've been trying to answer, and that is, who is this King Jesus? Who is this guy? And I think Luke is teeing up that question for us again today. And so I think today he's going to give us a fuller picture into that question of who Jesus is. And so let's dive into the text. It's Luke chapter 3. If you have it in your Bible in front of you, you can go ahead and grab that. It's Luke chapter 3, and it's verses starting with verse 21, and we're going to go to 38. And so I do have the verses on the screen, but go ahead and grab a Bible there as well. So let's read that. Starting with verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And now we're going to make a shift. Luke makes a shift here, and ride with me here. Also, my pronunciations, just ride with it as well. So here we go. Verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek 
the son of Jodah. Am I still on this one? Okay, good. The son of Joannan, the son of Resa, the son of Jerababel. That's a good one. The son of Sheatel, the son of Neri, the son of Melki, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Elizur, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph. See him again. The son of Joanne. Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malia, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah. All right, here we go. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Those ones are good. The son of Terah, the son of Nahur, the son of Sarug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah. I like that one a lot. The son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. All right. So back in, back in late August, I was asked to preach today. And I was all excited because I love getting up here and sharing the Word of God, right? That's, that's, I love that. The Word of God is so, it, it, I love it. And I saw the verses that, that was scripted for me to, to preach. And of course, I never read them. Um, <laughs> I didn't read them until later into September. And I, you know, because, you know, I was prepping for a baby, right? Like, I, was, I wasn't really paying attention to all this stuff. The school year was starting. And it was about a month later in September that I started to read the text, starting with verse 21. And I went, Let's go. It's the baptism of Jesus. This is so good. There's so much stuff in two verses. Okay. And I started freaking out. And I was like, Yes. And then I kept reading. And I'm going to be honest with you all, my excitement started to lessen. And I called David in my office and I said, I said, bro, <laughs> you're giving the student ministry pastor the genealogy text? What did I do to deserve this, David? <laughs> and, um, and you know what? I, I had to check my heart. I really did. Um, because all... Because just like I think some of you this morning when we read those texts, we have to check our heart when we read the genealogies. Um, because I think we sometimes when we get to like numbers or these other genealogies, we can kind of skip over it. <laughs> we can just say, well, here it is. Ah, it's a long list, sweet. And then we jump to the next thing, which is the temptation of Jesus next week and have fun with that, right? We can skip it. And today, I don't want us to skip it. I don't want us to miss the beauty in these verses. I don't want us to miss what Luke is trying to tell us. And I think that he's trying to point us to who the true identity of this king, Jesus, is. All right, so that's where we're going to be. So pray with me, and then we'll jump in. God, thank you so much that you, through your word, make it clear to us who you are. God, and I, and I pray today that as we look at these verses that we can see you for who you are. God, the beauty of you being fully God and fully man. We love you, Lord Jesus. Speak to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. So when we're looking at these verses today, I think the big idea that I want us to focus on 
is this. Luke uses two separate pieces of evidence to show with certainty the identity of King Jesus as both the Son of God and the Son of Man. Okay, We're going to see that in both of these pieces of evidence that don't seem like they have any connection really to each other, but yet Luke says they do. So let's dive in. I think, so it's a little bit of a bigger deal than just a genealogy text. <laughs> okay, I hope you see that. Um, and I think he's, Luke is trying to tell us that we can have confidence in who Jesus is as God and man. So this is where we're going to go today. We're going to start out with the baptism story. And in that, we're going to see that Jesus is God. That's going to be the first thing. Secondly, we're going to go down and then we'll go into the lengthy genealogy and we'll talk about how Jesus is man. So we're going to keep, keep her rolling, keep her moving. So, but let's start out with the baptism text. So in 21 and 22, all right, take a look at that with me. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So these two verses are absolutely packed with stuff, okay? I could have done two, three weeks on just this. Um, but we see, I think today, in this, that God is using this as a declaration of who Jesus is to the people. And he's ultimately going to say that he is the Son of God. And we're going to see that in two primary ways. The first is there in verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. So the first way we see that God is proclaiming who Jesus is to everyone else there as in his baptism is through the actual physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. So let's get nerdy for a second. Because I think this is fascinating. The Holy Spirit in this moment, just like Adam said earlier, the Trinity is all together physically in that moment. But the Holy Spirit shows up in the physical manifestation, in bodily form. And Luke then says, like a dove. So what's the significance of the dove. What's the significance of the dove? Was it a real dove? Well, we see in these verses that Luke is saying that the Holy Spirit was not just this spiritual entity in this moment, right? He's not just saying that it was this freely spiritual thing. He's saying that he indeed physically was there, right? And came down from the clouds. But the words then that Luke uses, and I'll go back, the words that he uses then after that, to describe this is like a dove. So all these pictures that we see of this moment, right, it's just trying to help us give a picture of what is happening there. But I don't think Luke is saying that it was a physical dove. Right? I think he's saying like a dove. It's a simile. He's saying, man, I can imagine what it has been like in this. I think Luke and the witnesses in that moment are all just astonished at the fact that the Holy Spirit just showed up here in this place. And they're like, how can we write this down and how can we can describe this to people? I mean, it's like, it's like a dove. It, and I think that what Luke is just trying to tell us is that the dove part maybe isn't that significant, but I think the physical embodiment of the Holy Spirit is that significant. 
is that God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, came down and descended upon Jesus. Further crowning this man as special, as holy. And everything that John said, I don't know if you remember if you heard last week in verse 16, last week, John said this about this guy named Jesus, about what would come with him. And he said, John answered them, all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. Jesus is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm unworthy to, to untie. I can't even touch this dude's shoes. And then he says, this is what Jesus is going to bring with him. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Again, I think Luke is pointing to us that this physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit in his baptism is pointing back to what John is saying will come with this guy. Come with Jesus. Come with the Son of God. The Holy Spirit. So that's the first way that Luke tees up that this Jesus is holy and special. He says the physical embodiment of the Holy Spirit is there. And then he points to a second piece of evidence. That's in, at the end of verse 22. So the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. With you I am well pleased. The Lord speaks. And I think we can sometimes blow right past this when we're reading this story. But this is a huge moment. This was super impactful for me this week. This is a huge moment in the history of Israel. Okay, why? Why, you might ask? Well, let's look at this moment, okay? So the last time that the Lord speaks to the people of Israel is through the prophet Malachi in Malachi 4. Okay, you guys don't seem as excited about that. I don't see astonishment. <laughs> okay, all right, that blew me away. But anyways, here we go. So I'll, here's a picture to show you, okay? It was over 400 years of silence from the Lord. He does speak through John the Baptist, but there was never an audible voice from the Lord. This is the moment in that 400 years. Okay, this is a huge moment. That's over 400 years that the, the Israelite people watched and waited and listened and were begging to hear from the Lord. And then he chooses this day, the baptism of Jesus to speak and for that silence to be broken. So I think then that the next words that God speaks are probably some of the most important ones. <laughs> Right? If I didn't talk for 400 years and then I showed up here and said, Caleb, my son, like you guys would be like, what? <laughs> right? Imagine God in that moment and what does he say? He says this exactly. These are so crucial words. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The Lord declares after 400 years of silence that this Jesus this king is his son, who he actually loves and who he actually is well pleased with. <laughs> it's huge. It's an announcement to the people of who God is, who Jesus is. So, and I know I was, as I was looking at this there, over the past few weeks, I can imagine what this moment's like, and I'm trying to put, you know, pictures to words and and the only thing that I could have think of is a coronation. 
This is the coronation moment of Jesus. This is a picture of Queen Elizabeth's coronation. Um, and so, but this is what will happen in a few months over in England with King Charles III when this happens. But the coronation, it really wasn't for Elizabeth and it really wasn't for Charles. They're already kings. He's already a king right now. And Elizabeth was already a queen at this point. But who's the coronation for? It's for the people to celebrate him, to recognize him as the new king of the United Kingdom. And I think that's what this moment of the baptism is for Jesus. It's a coronation. He steps out entering his ministry now, not to prove to himself or to God who he is. He already knows that. He is God. But for God to show exactly who Jesus is through this audible declaration of his son. And then he gets crowned with the physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's wild. It's so cool. So as we see through Jesus' baptism of coronation of King Jesus, the Son of God, the rightful heir to the throne of our hearts, the set-apart one, who has come to bring the upside-down kingdom to earth. That's who he is, and that's who God is saying that this Jesus is in his baptism. But I think this next point is pretty poignant. And so here we go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I just can't help it, okay? I got to sneak as many pictures into this as I can. That, that kid is so stinking cute. Anyway, sorry. Um, anyway, but Luke continues past the baptism, right? He continues past the baptism, and if you look back into verse 20, he actually closes the story on John the Baptist. If you look back a couple verses ahead or behind, he says that John then goes into prison. So this moment, he's kind of shutting the door on John, and he's opening the door for us to say, Jesus is the dude, come here, and we're going to ride with him for the rest of this book, right? So this is an important hinge. And so what John, or not John, Luke does then is then he plants the genealogy right here, okay? And so this is what we're going to see in the second part. We're here in verse 23 that this is the genealogy. And we're going to see that Jesus is man through this, okay? He's pointing to Jesus as man. And he, he writes, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to just pull out a few, okay? Ride with me. So here it is, 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 33, 30 years of age, but being the son, as was supposed, Luke even knows that, hey, this is God's son, not, maybe not Joseph's, son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi. You keep going. There's you know, Amos, Josek, Jodah, Jerebabel, I like that one. Um, you go Joshua, Levi, Joseph, um, and then you get the son of Nathan. You look there in verse 31. The son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed. Boaz, right? And you keep going. You see some more familiar names. Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, Noah. And then you get to Enos, Seth, Adam, and God. Right? You see that progression? A lot of genealogies work from the beginning of God and work to the current. This is coming from Jesus and working back to God. And so I want to pull out um, what 
Luke is trying to do now by putting a 15-verse, 77-generation genealogy with names that I can't pronounce right here in chapter 3, verses chapter 1. So what's he trying to do here? And I think what he's trying to do is show a familial connection to show evidence of a familial connection to Jesus' birthright as king, giving no room for dispute for Jesus' fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and to give a legitimacy to his reign as king. So again, I think there's a point to what Luke is trying to do. And I want to show you, just pull out one name and show how this is a connection. First name, David. The son of David. David is arguably the greatest king in all of Israel's history. And if we look back in his story, we actually see a promise and a prophecy that was made to him by God in 2 Samuel. And it says this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. He's talking about descendants, offspring, family tree, lineage. You shall come who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. God's going to establish the kingdom. He shall build a house for whose name? The Lord's name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me to a son, literally. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. He's even pointing to the cross. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As, it, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So God speaks to David, promising him a descendant that will have the kingdom that will reign forever. Jesus is that descendant that, that was promised. And I think the, the readers of Luke's genealogy here, they would know exactly what the implications of having a bloodline with the greatest king in Israel was and having David in that lineage. That means that Jesus is that man to take the mantle. Through his flesh and blood and through his lineage, he becomes the king. So he's the one to restore what is lost in the nation of Israel. All right, and then secondly, the second point to the genealogy besides that is that we see Jesus is connected 76 generations later back to Adam. And when he goes back to Adam, he's doing it to have a connection to us and all of humanity. And that's so profound. But it's very interesting to me. Why would you include Adam in a genealogy of a king that you're trying to lift up? Because Adam is the one that this mess all started with in the beginning. So why then is Luke or and the genealogy writers going to include Adam in this? And I think Paul has an answer for us in Romans. Go to Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, through Adam, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, Humanity was sinful in Adam. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sinning are not like the transgression of Adam, 
Those who sin differently than Adam sinned, they're still sin, big ass sin. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass of Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace be given of that one man, Jesus Christ. So why include Adam? It's because through Adam and his disobedience, sin and death were brought into this world, into humanity's sake, which has marred the entire human existence, the entire lineage of Jesus, 76 generations until he came into this world with this big S sin, our sinful nature. And then from that moment on, our relationship with God has been in turmoil, been in trajectory, has been different. And then Paul says, God through Jesus... The second Adam, a man, comes to not only identify himself alongside of us as humans, but ultimately redeems us. Ultimately redeems us to take our sin, to take our punishment. So Jesus, a man, one of us, paid the price for all of us. fascinating stuff. Why Luke then lays out this genealogy. So what does this mean for our lives? So last, what does this mean for our lives? Takeaways. What does this mean on our Monday to Saturday? Well, the first is just the question to you then of who is this Jesus to you? Who is this Jesus to you? In the verses today, Luke declares some amazing truths about the identity of Jesus as God and the identity of Jesus as man. But then I point this question into our hearts and to you. Who is Jesus to you? Because I think all of us in this room sometimes need to answer that question for ourselves. Is Jesus just a run-of-the-mill teacher with some pretty good quippy one-liners? And good life lessons? Is he our vending machine? We've talked about that before. He goes up to it, hit B5, and you just get whatever you want when you pray. Or is he the King Jesus, fully God and fully man, who is sitting on the throne of your heart? And as, as I hit this last takeaway, I'm going to invite the worship worship team on stage with me. We've been talking a lot during this first section of Luke about having an everyday meeting with the king. Once a day, have an everyday meeting, and maybe even setting your alarm for 104 to indicate Luke 1-4, which is saying we need to have certainty. He writes this to have certainty um, in who Jesus is. Well, this week, not only do I want you to ponder that question of the person of Jesus and is he on the throne of your heart, but I want you to focus on another one. Do you trust in God's plan for your life? Do you trust in God's plan for your life? Because we see in the genealogy that God worked and had a plan from the beginning for the redemption of his people. And that was something that blew me away this week. So the question becomes, do you trust him with your life? When that doctor gives an unfavorable diagnosis, 
When the promotion doesn't come that we so we all thought, and I thought, or not, no, I'm not talking about my job, sorry. We're good. Sorry, that was a slip. That was a slip. Anyway. When that, when that kid's wing just is built for the kids. Anyways. Um, anyway, we got to come back in here. This is supposed to be a poignant point, um, but it still is. Do you trust him, even in the midst of that? Do you trust that plan? You know, I have students that don't get accepted into the colleges that they want. Right? And you know, people and stuff that I work with, you know, that are single and are just wanting to be married and don't haven't experienced that yet. Do you trust him? Or even when there's some relationships or family relationships that are souring and you just don't know what to do, do you trust him? Do you trust that God has your back regardless of the circumstance? And, and that last question's hitting me pretty hard in my life. Um, and I'm going to open up to you guys a little bit about where, where I'm at. But over a month ago, um, we, were into the, we went to the hospital over a month ago, six weeks ago, actually, um, to be induced and to have our son, Caleb. Um, and after a long 24-hour labor and, and we get to the pushing phase, it's go time, right? It's go time. Um, Amanda started to push Caleb out and his heart rate, Caleb's heart rate began to drop. And every contraction, his heart would go from normal heartbeat to low, normal heartbeat to low, normal heartbeat to low. And so it was in that moment that the doctor kind of looked at us and said, okay, the umbilical cord is wrapped around something. And uh, we don't know what that is yet, but because the heart rate's dropping like this, it's indicator that something's happening. And so we hear over the monitor, up and down, up and down, as we're pushing Caleb out. She's pushing Caleb out, and I didn't do anything. <laughs> and then the doctor looks at us again and says, we need to get him out. And the doctor begins to coach Amanda about pushing, and, she's, and she told Amanda, you need to give everything you got right now. And I begin praying in my head, Lord, Give her the strength, Lord. Protect our son, Lord. We trust you with everything. We trust you with him. Over and over in my head, praying that as this is happening. And Amanda pushes Caleb out in record time, which is insane. It was like 20-some minutes, which is insane for first pregnancies. And that's when they saw that the cord was wrapped around his neck. And... Uh, he goes and gets checked out, and he had some laboring breathing right away, but then um, he kind of came out of it and, had, and actually had a clean bill of health in that moment. But this is where, this is where the Lord rocks me. Sorry. This is where the Lord rocked me. Because the doctor showed us the umbilical cord. And made a point to show us the umbilical cord, actually. And she, she just couldn't believe how thick and, and cushiony and gelatinous Amanda's umbilical cord was. And uh, she said, normal umbilical cords are tightly woven, and yours was a lot more cushiony. 
And then this is what the doctor tells us, and I'm still floored to this day about the sovereignty and about do I trust the Lord's plan. She said, because your cord was more thick and juicy, those are her words, (laughs) around Caleb's neck, because there was more cushion, it actually allowed the heart rate to continue to go back to normal after each contraction. And it wouldn't get nearly as tight around his neck. There was cushion. Uh, She described it as like a pool noodle versus a rope. It's because, thank you. It's because of that that our baby was able to be birthed normally and didn't need to go into a crash C-section. Guys, God has knit, he knit our son together in the womb and from the beginning knew and protected our son from that moment. And so he had a master plan for Caleb's life in that, even in the beginning of his life. And we see that he had a master plan from the beginning of Adam until this moment Jesus died on the cross. And he knows and he sees and he continues to work for his kids. So do you trust that plan? Pray with me. God, thank you that you are a God who has worked from the beginning through Adam, through 77 generations to your son Jesus to redeem us. God, I pray that as we leave here today and we worship you, may we worship you for who you are as fully God and fully man in our lives. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.